Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We've got a fun weekend of college football. It's becoming more and more of a full slate because the Big Ten is back. And we're going to talk all about the biggest matchups right here on today's show. At the very top, we're going to kick things off with Saturday Scouting. Myself, Ben Fennell, we're going to talk about some of those one-on-one matchups with NFL draft implications. And we'll also dig into what we value most at a certain position. And this week, we've done a different position every single week. This week, we are going to take a look at three technique defensive tackles and what they bring to the field. What what are the traits that matter most to us during the pre-draft evaluation? After that, I was really happy to welcome in my guest this week for Mr. Relevant. It's a guy that does outstanding analysis for ESPN and the ACC Network. That is Eric McLean, a former Clemson football captain. He's going to join the show to talk about not just the Clemson Tigers, but some of the other prospects that have really caught his eye throughout the ACC through a few weeks of action. After that, we're going to wrap things up. Up with Ross Tucker and pick six. We're going to preview some of this weekend's biggest matchups with Ross, and we'll uh, keep our little competition going as we have throughout the course of this season. Really excited to get things going. Before we start up, though, the big thing I want to remind you guys, the best way to throw us your support and make this podcast more visible to others that enjoy listening to NFL Draft content, go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. And if you go on, it's the best. If you leave a question, we will answer it here on the show each and every week. Thanks so much to everybody that has done that. That being said, let's get things going. It's time to kick things off with Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. A lot to get into this week here on Saturday Scouting. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the Big Ten is back. So we, we've got a lot of players uh, to get through here for this weekend. But uh, before we get into this weekend's action, Ben, um, tough news uh, earlier this week is Penn State running back Journey Brown. It was reported that he is going to be treated for a medical condition that was discovered discovered during the offseason and that he's likely to miss the entire 2020 football season. Uh, you know, This is a guy we talked about during the preseason as one of the best players in the Big Ten. I know he was Dane's uh, number one running back, I believe, coming into the into this uh, 2020 season. So tough news, obviously, not just for Penn State, but for uh, all of college football that we're not going to be able to see one of the most electric playmakers in the Big Ten not play this year. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I was really excited to see him uh, kind of be the star in that Penn State offense. He really started to ascend towards the end of last year and go right to that bowl game against Memphis where he ripped off 202 yep. yards and uh, showed up on the freak list this summer for a 429. He's got a track background. You know, Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, Journey Brown was next. Um, just been a weird offseason. You know, obviously all the opt-outs and transferings and other medical issues. It seems like it's pulling this whole sports community, you know, left, right, up, down with all these off the field decisions with why guys are in and out of the lineups. It's just, uh, it's been exhausting. Yeah. As we'll talk about, uh, you're coming up. Here I'm almost a, a little desensitized to it. It's like journey Brown's out now undisclosed medical conditions. Like, Oh, well, now we got one of those here. Let's just right. put them in, put them in that, in that hopper. Yep. No question. So, uh, Look, we uh, we can get into our matchups here with that being said. And I think when you look at uh, this weekend's slate, the big thing is that there is a lot of Big Ten football returning, right? We get the the Big Ten teams back in the fold, Pac-12, just around the corner here. So we'll talk about a lot of these Big Ten matchups. But my first one, I wanted to go outside the Big Ten, and it's a a game that is going to be played 
um, you know, it's a, between these two SEC teams that uh, we've gotten to see a lot of already. And it's one of the night games here this weekend, South Carolina against LSU. We talked about J.C. Horn earlier this week with Dane. He, was, he got his game ball after his two-interception performance last Saturday. I'm interested to watch both he and Israel Mukoamu, the other South Carolina corner, go up against these – LSU receivers. You look at Taurus Marshall, you look at Racy McMath, another player we talked about earlier this week. I'm interested to see this matchup because Marshall and Horn, I feel like, is a, a fun one-on-one. They move Marshall inside and outside. Horn is a guy that can travel inside and outside. McMath is a big, supersized wide out with interesting tools. Same thing with Mukwamo, big oversized corner, you know, six foot four, two hundred pounds. Uh, and you know, getting him up at the line of scrimmage against McMath, that's a really interesting matchup to me. I'm excited to see uh, how these guys are able to come out. I kind of like South Carolina in this game, Ben. I think that you know they've got a little bit of momentum here. Uh, LSU obviously has really struggled uh, two weeks ago. Really tough loss. They didn't play last week uh, after the outbreak with the Florida Gators. So uh, interested to see how they bounce back here in prime time, seven o'clock on Saturday. Well, those four players. The first thing I think about is competitive. So yeah. I'm really excited just to see them kind of battle on the outside. And as much as LSU has been dysfunctional in 2020. Hasn't been a whole lot on the offensive side of the ball. They've still been lighting up the scoreboard, and these kids on the outside are excellent, explosive receivers. Really excited to see. It's probably the other side of the ball that's going to determine that game, whether LSU can stop South Carolina and Shai Smith and, you know, that high-powered offense with the young quarterback. And Yeah, is, and then uh, with – is, would you agree with me that J.C. Horn is probably the best player on the field uh, in this game, at least when we're talking about this matchup? Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair, and I really like the way he's ascended and put his, his name into a, an elite cornerback conversation. I said last year over the summer uh, off his 2019 tape, he had potential to be the best cornerback in yeah. the country, but yep. just a little up and down with his uh, consistency on tape, and you go through a gauntlet in the SEC on a week-to-week basis. You know, he got, he got, he got carved up by Bama last year. He got carved up by uh, the LSU receiver, Jamar Chase, you know, so... There's no, there's no weeks off in the SEC, and this week, once again, LSU receivers, no Jamar Chase, you know, no Justin Jefferson this year, but Racy McMath and Torrance Marshall uh, certainly are up to the challenge. But I'll join you staying outside the Big Ten for one matchup here. And it seems like every week I'm somehow talking about Notre Dame left tackle Liam Eichenberg and Pitt defensive end Rashad Weaver and Patrick Jones a second. And this week we finally get that beautiful ACC showdown of Notre Dame and Pitt. And really excited. This is right in that time of the year that Pitt lets everybody down as far as being national contenders. They always start hot and then right. seem to let you down with a boneheaded loss. And I think they're off two, uh, two heartbreaking losses in the ACC. But tons of NFL talent on that defensive side of the ball. DeMar Hamlin, Paris Ford on the back end. Yep. But I want to see Eckenberg uh, battle these defensive ends. These are heavy, very strong defensive ends. And Rashad Weaver, who's leading the country in pressures right now. Patrick Jones, the second. These are not fleet of foot, quick first step, looking to bend the corner with high side rushes. These are very strong physical defensive ends, every bit of 265, 270 pounds. And, uh, you know, Eichenberg's main concern coming into the season was his play strength. And I thought he looked pretty good against, you know, the athletic defensive ends of Duke. And I thought he looked pretty good against the athletic defensive ends of Florida State. A little different style this week. I want to see if the play strength is up to speed. And I'm really ready to stamp him as a first-round lock heading into the 2021 NFL draft if he puts up a dominant performance. This is a guy that hasn't allowed a sack in over a thousand snaps. Didn't allow one last year, hasn't allowed one this year. 
I just can't see why he's not getting more buzz with the other, uh, you know, the other tackle prospects around the country. So I watched him for the first time this morning, man. It's finally. I know you've been welcome you've been to the show, on, dude. Welcome you've been to getting, the show, dude. You have been getting <laughs> on me for months to watch Eichenberg. Well, there's some and, guys that don't have a lot of buzz, Fran, that I yeah. see, and I'm like, I look over to the left and the right of me in an empty room, like, am I not seeing this right? Because I see a really high caliber prospect, and not to call him out, but you know, I talked with our buddy Dame Brugler, who had a fourth round grade based off his 2019 tape, has clearly ascended that in 2020, playing really good ball. Interested to see what you saw. Yeah, so to me, like I watched Eichenberg, same two games. I watched Duke and I watched Florida State. Here's what stood out to me, okay? The, the, the traits that really kind of caught my eye. Number one, his play speed, just the way he flies out of his stance. I remember we, I had an interview with uh, Brandon Thorne, one of our mutual friends, um, you know, down at the uh, O-line masterminds a couple years ago. And we talked about what are the most important traits for NFL offensive linemen. And one of the first things he brought up was play speed, your ability to get out of your stance. Can you get from A to B faster than the defensive lineman across from you? This guy flies out of his stance, run game and pass game, natural knee bend as well. He fires off the ball uh, with really good pad level in the run game. And he's never he never plays straight-legged and pass protection. So I, I look the, right there off the bat. You see that initial athleticism. I, I like that from Eichenberg. And really two, quick, Fran, yep. about that getting out of that stance. And something I took away from O-line masterminds that I've really emphasized since is tackles getting to your spot and then fighting. Yeah. And that's what, that's what big Duke always talks about. You got to get to your landmark and then, and then fight. And I don't think we understand that with tackles enough with average fans watching the game, how many times guys try to fight on the move. Yep. You got to get to your spot and then be, be ready to battle. And that's what I love about uh, Eichenberg, that I feel like he gets to his spot very quickly, very balanced, very under control, and then he's ready to fight. And I feel like he's up to that challenge. And that's the thing, is that on top of that, so he's got that that initial play speed, then he gets there, first of all, I love his play demeanor. He is a he is a tough SOB, like run game, pass game. If he quick sets it, he's going to get on you and he's going to let you know. He's always the last guy to throw a shove uh, at the end of the play. He's just a really tough player. Uh, you mentioned er- earlier this week um, you know, about his performance against Florida State, and he had to leave that game uh, partially. He had came back in. His eye, He took a shot to the face, I think from Marvin Wilson, I believe, on the play that he got hurt. I think and- it was nearly closed at the fourth quarter. Dude, it was it was completely swollen shut. Like if you go, I know on, you watch the tape, but on the TV broadcast they showed him. Yeah, he, he, I didn't know how he could see out of that left eye. Well, I just went out. I like looked online for pictures afterwards, and it was completely swollen shut. It was a, it was nasty, man. And <laughs> so the way that he came back in and performed in that game that speaks to his toughness as well. But you know, the the other thing that really stood out to me. He has got really fast hands. Like some guys, you know, they throw their punt. He his hands go from A to B so so fast. And he's got a really strong punch as well. But with that velocity that he hits with, even though he's only 302, he, and I don't know what his hand size is. I haven't seen like the, the official measurements or anything, but I'll tell you what, like when he lands on contact, he does, uh, you know, kind of shock some defenders on that first contact. So, you know, I think when you look at his play speed, how fast and violent his hands are, and then his play demeanor, all right, like we're, we're working with a nice strong base here. There are some things that he still has to clean up. I think that he's got a bad habit sometimes of, you know, when he shoots his hands, his feet will stop and that will kind of throw him off balance a little bit, both run game and pass game. That's something that I think, you, I, I think part of that is that he's super aggressive and he's trying to get, get into guys quick and that kind of throws him off. But man, the, the, to me, and especially with the hands, and this is going to sound crazy, dude, 
he kind of reminds me of Lane. He reminds me a little bit of Lane Johnson. Like and, and when I went back and reread my notes on Lane, they were the same exact uh, measurables coming out in terms of 6'6", 302. That's exactly what Lane weighed, weighed in at the Senior Bowl. That's what this kid's listed at right now. And I, my guess is when he goes to the Senior Bowl, he'll weigh in a little bit heavier. But the same measurements, same play speed, same play demeanor. Dude, I, I don't know. I, I'm interested. I, I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree. I feel like this kid's a first-round player. I'm interested to continue to watch more. And I think when you look back at some of the tackles that have been drafted in the first round, especially in the, you know, in the back half in the last 20, you know, 15, 20 picks of round one, just in the last five, six, seven years, a lot of those guys were not talked about as first-round picks in October and in November. I feel like Eichenberg – there's a path for him to work his way into the first 30 picks for sure. Yeah, I think that's really fair. And one little subtlety of, of another element of that quickness off the ball, uh, particularly in that Duke game, they would run away from him often, but those cuts on the backside. Yeah. That shows great initial quickness to get inside of a player that's lined up a gap inside of you. Mm-hmm. And then just the effort of understanding my backside block matters. And in the NFL, we love that moniker of frontside blocks win games, backside blocks win championships. And you love seeing that work on the backside. Some of my notes, just to paint the full picture, his start-stop versus speed is a little heavy-legged at times, like most tackles are. Sometimes he plays a little too high, want to see a little more knee bend so he could stay latched. Occasionally he'll fall off blocks because of that. Occasionally will be, get beat with immediate quickness inside because of that flying out of his stance. is a little aggressive at times. He could get beat with an inside move but but on that duke tape you can see the pass pro mirror the quick off the ball reaction to the inside moves the balance eyes up to to see the twists and stunts in front of him the run game movement and one of my notes from 2019 was i think he's a little more technician than mauler but in 2020 i'm seeing a little bit more edge to this kid that's why i wrote costanzo down because i felt like costanzo was just this ho-hum technician under control not really an edgy player not a mauler but I think Eichenberg is kind of moving himself into a more of a Lane Johnson type of aggressive athletic profile. Yeah, he is. Uh, he really caught my eyes. And that, that was the one difference I would say between he and Lane. I feel like Lane, I mean, Lane was an elite athlete coming out. I mean, it is an outstanding athlete in the NFL. I feel like he is a good athlete. You see him out in space and he could do some things there. I think his feet are, are fine. I don't think his feet like blew me away. Um, but I, I, dude, I, I agree with you that Eichenberg, I think, is a first-round prospect uh, when it's all said and done. And this matchup against Weaver that you've highlighted, like, I have, look, that 330 slate on Saturday, like, look at some of these games at 330. You've got uh, Alabama-Tennessee, which is going to be a fun one. Notre Dame-Pitt, uh, we were talking about this matchup. you got two ranked teams, huge game in the Big 12 we're going to talk about later with Ross. Iowa State-Oklahoma State, Penn State-Indiana, Virginia Tech-Wake Forest, your guy Christian Darashaw going up against Buki Basham uh, from Wake Forest, like, the 330 slate is loaded this Saturday. I can't mm-hmm. wait for some of these games. But, well, uh, let's, let's stay right here in this 330 yeah. slate real fast because one of the matchups I wanted to see was Indiana receiver Wap Filer against his Penn State secondary. Penn State's yeah. ranked eighth in the country. Not a lot of known names in the secondary, but they have a corner, Tariq Castro-Fields, a safety, Lamont Wade, who plays that nickel position, another senior safety, and Jaquan Brisker. But Wap Filer for Indiana reminded me a lot of T.Y. Hilton. And last year, he was a 1,000-yard receiver, had 20 catches of 20-plus yards, even with some up-and-down QB play, led the Big Ten in yards after catch. This is an explosive, dynamic receiver with the ball in his hands and down the field. Really excited to see him build off that 2019 1,000-yard season and really push his name into more of a household, you know, I'm an NFL legit speed prospect for, for the next level. 
he was second team all Big Ten a year ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And with some of the guys that have left that conference, you know, I got to think that he's going to be in play if he can match that production, uh, you know, for first team all conference this year. I have not done failure yet, but uh, you're right. That Penn State secondary, there's a lot of prospects that a lot of people are very excited about. A couple of freak show uh, players uh, on the back end there for Penn State. Um, for me, I'll stay in the Big Ten here. This I don't think this, this game is not in the uh, 3:30 slate. This one is at. Let's take a look real quick. This game is actually a night game. This is a 7:30 game. Uh, Michigan, Minnesota. All right, and we're going to talk a little bit about this a little bit later too. So uh, rank first rank on ABC. Exactly right. So we got a big one. Uh, I'm going to go in the trenches here. And Jalen Mayfield was one of the players that opted out initially for Michigan. He did return to, to campus. He did opt back in. So when you look at Jalen Mayfield, the only returning starter for the Michigan Wolverines, uh, studied him after he opted out. And I think that he's got ability. I'm glad that he opted back in because I thought he was a little bit of a project uh, in that, you know, there was just a little bit of unrefinement there. He was only a one-year starter, so I was interested to just see him come back and improve. This is a very underrated test, man, because, yeah, Minnesota, they had a they had a, a pass rusher in Carter Coughlin that was drafted last year, but they've got a kid coming back in Boye Mafe that a lot of people are very, very excited about. And all the guys that I talked to from Minnesota last year were like, yeah, this kid in year in uh, in his redshirt junior year, that's what he's going into, 6'4", 260 pounds, he is going to be a nightmare. And they talked about like just how athletic he is. I went back and watched him. And this kid has, has traits. He is a ver- he is more project than prospect right now. Uh, the, you know, very very unrefined based off the 2019 film. But at that size, with that explosive freaky first step, he was really effective on stunts last year. I can't wait to see what this kid looks like with now with a, obviously a unique off season, but another off season of just getting better. I can't wait to watch what he looks like. So that's a matchup I'm excited to see. Boye Mafe from Minnesota, the pass rusher, going up against Michigan offensive tackle Jalen Mayfield. There's obviously great players. I mean, Rashad Bateman's playing in this game. We'll talk about him later. There are a bunch of guys to watch, but that one in the trenches is one that's certainly going to have my eye. I think between Mafe and Penn State's Jason Owe, they're like competing to, you know, kind of have that breakout kind of performance in 2020. Both guys, very little production coming into this year. Huge, huge upside. Both freakishly athletic, both every bit of 6'4", 6'5", 260, inside, outside versatility. These are two names that I expect to be in the 10, 12 sack category and really be, uh, you know, some of the elite quarterback hunters in the Big Ten this year. So, like, to me, when comparing those two guys, like watching uh, Oway last year, like, the, both guys have, have traits. I think that Oway's ceiling is like, I mean, he's got the top 10, top 15 ceiling. But I don't know that. But they're both in the same package of, we really yes, haven't seen a whole lot yet. Exactly but we're right. we're so yep. excited to see them just in a every down roll on the field consistently. You know, they're the stars of their units. I really want to see them, uh, you know, in that full-time capacity. No question. Any other matchups you want to take a look at here for the Big Ten? I've kind of exhausted my two. Yeah, you know, there's there's matchups in every trench. I want to watch these Michigan defensive ends. Again, other guys getting opportunities now that the the previous regime is gone. No more Rashawn Gary. No more Josh Uchi on that Michigan defense. Who's Aiden Hutchinson? Who's Quiddy Pay, Fran? These are first-round caliber uh, defensive linemen for the University of Michigan that really haven't done a whole lot yet in the production sheet. I think we're starting to learn about Quiddy Pay, but Aiden Hutchinson's a guy that's played a lot of ball has had a lot of sacks taken from him and some of those exotic pressure schemes of Don Brown where, you know, maybe Rashawn Gary fell into a sack or Josh Uchi got the twist and Hutchinson had to do the pin down. He's a guy that's going to get his number called a lot more this year. Really excited to watch him against the uh, Minnesota O-line this week. That's a good one. I, I do like that one. Yeah, there's – it's good. There's – 
it's just great to have another like conference back in play. We have more players to talk about, more games to watch. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, taking in all. You got Illinois, Wisconsin here. Friday night. Don't forget about that. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good point. Number fourteen, Wisconsin, and you know, don't don't take your eyes off that trench and uh, whoever's going to uh, be toting the rock behind Jonathan Taylor. And transfer you in Illinois. They've got exactly. to transfer oh, up and down. That's a, that's a great point. Yep. <laughs> I do. They've got that you at the USC receiver. You got you've got his name down. I don't believe I do. Josh Emator Baby. Yeah, there we go. I, they I also they also have his brother Daniel Emator Baby, who is a tight end from Florida to USC, now to Illinois. Their transfer scene is is wild, by the way. Yeah. Uh, it's like, like I said back in the summer. It's Lovey Smith playing free agency uh, up, <laughs> up in the Big Ten. All right, let's get to our mock draft roundup here. We're once again we're going to pick a mock draft every week. Just see who they've got the Eagles selecting and who else is kind of going in that draft in that area. So uh, this one I went with a, a mock draft from Fan Sided, uh, and uh, Cody Williams did the mock draft. He had the Eagles picking at eleventh overall. Um, so we'll take the five players going before 11. And he's got uh, the Washington football team at number six going quarterback here with Trey Lance from North Dakota State. Seventh overall, you've got Alabama corner Patrick Sertan Jr. Eighth overall, you've got the Bengals taking Alabama left tackle Alex Leatherwood. Ninth overall, the Detroit Lions taking linebacker Micah Parsons. And 10th overall, the L.A. Chargers selecting Oklahoma center Creed Humphrey. Ben, I believe that's the second week in a row we've seen uh, Creed Humphrey as a top 12 pick in a mock draft. These interior linemen, man, you don't hear about them on the national scene or out on Twitter or draft articles, but it's going to be three or four of them drafted in the top 40 next year that, you know, you're, you're going to quickly scramble and try to catch up. But these are guys that deserve a lot of attention. Creed Humphrey is a cream of the crop at center. There's a couple other guys that I think are going to work their way into that conversation, like Landon Dickerson at Alabama and Drake Jackson at Kentucky. But, man, Fran, this is just a scary time in the NFL. I mean, it's like a you get 18 months to prove yourself. Washington, quarterback already. We just took Dwayne Haskins in 2019. Bengals, left tackle. We just took Jonah Williams, you know, two years ago. Are we hitting reset or are these kind of collective pieces to the to the stew here? It's a good question. And to me, like, I, I still, at the end of the day, I do feel that Leatherwood is more of a guard and he would, like, to me, like, I, I don't know if I'm taking him an eight overall, but if I'm, if I'm the Bengals and I, and Leatherwood's sitting there, you know, later in the draft, um, not later in the a lot later in the draft, but if he's sitting there a little bit later than eight overall, uh, I'm not looking past that because even though Michael Jordan has played well, he has shown versatility in the past. I'll take Leatherwood and see if I think Leatherwood's one of the safer picks in the draft. And I guess in the same way that Jonah Williams was viewed the same way, right? It's like, Oh, do we slide him into guard? I'm not sure. Either way, I think he's a safe player to take. Yeah. You know, I'm just, I think Leatherwood's probably a little more in the mix with Jonah Williams. Trey Lance, that's obviously uh, hitting the reset button on the quarterback right. position. No question. Uh, let's go to the five after the Eagles now. 12th well, overall. Another, another interior offensive lineman back to back here. Okay. Yeah, no question. Oh, actually, well, the Eagles would be between us, yes. Yes, correct. So you got the Minnesota Vikings taking Ohio State guard Wyatt Davis. The Miami Dolphins at 13, <clears throat> 13 taking Jalen Waddle, the wide receiver from Alabama. Seems like Waddle's to the Dolphins is like one of the hot like connections right now. Yeah. Uh, you're trying to pair him back with Tua Tungabailoa. Uh, 14th overall, the San Francisco 49ers taking Virginia Tech corner Caleb Farley seems like he's been a lock and pretty much all mock drafts in the top 15 uh, Dallas Cowboys at 15 taking Georgia corner Tyson Campbell uh, very similar play style to um, uh, to Trevon Diggs that they took last year and then the 16th overall pick the Indianapolis Colts taking pass rusher Quincy Roche from Miami well, only a couple of mock drafts we've seen Roche going this high uh, Ben what were your big takeaway from that group of five yeah, just the Cowboys, again, going after corner. They got two big corners last year like the, with Trayvon Diggs, as you had mentioned. And who was the other big corner? That they, they took the, your, your boy from uh, from Tulsa. 
Yeah, who's very similar to a Trayvon Diggs, Diggs. Also, yeah. height, weight, speed guy, very long corner. I believe they're playing him, uh, at least in terms of the depth chart that I looked at. I haven't, we're actually starting our Dallas work uh, for next week. We're starting that today after we record the show. Uh, but I believe they have him listed at safety on the depth chart. But I have no idea if that's where they've been playing him or not. Yeah, and then the Vikings, they seem to have a, a style, you know, once again, addressing some interior offensive line. Yeah. Elf yep. line didn't seem to work out. They have uh, Garrett Bradbury, who looks like he's better at center, but you want to sure up those guard positions. They still have to figure out the tackle positions as well. They yeah. moved on from Riley Reef. It looks like Brian O'Neill is a right tackle. Is Ezra Cleveland the future left tackle? Uh, we'll see there with the Vikings. But if Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook and Thielen and Justin Jefferson are the future of the skilled positions, we got to sure up that offensive line. So going O-line for the Vikings, I think, is a great pick there. So let's go with the Eagles selection here. 11th overall. He's got him taking linebacker Dylan Moses from Alabama, and this is the blurb from the uh, from the pick. For all the issues that the Eagles have shown this season, perhaps the most detrimental of their success has been the play at linebacker. Subsequently, they need to add a player like Alabama's Dylan Moses and need to do so quickly. It's clear that Moses is, is knocking off some rust early in the season after missing all of 2019 with a torn ACL, but his top-end film shows a player who can thrive at every level of the field against both the run and the pass. So, Ben, I turn this over to you. Uh, what are your thoughts on Dylan Moses and and uh, his value there at 11 overall. Yeah, I think this is the ballpark and the projection before 2020. And he put a lot of interesting stuff on tape before the ACL injury in 2018. But that was a long time ago, Fran. And you almost have to kind of give him a clean slate. ACL injury, new defense, 2020. You know, I watched two games of his on tape so far, the Georgia game and I think the Texas A&M game. And I'm seeing kind of an early day two player right now. I think 11th overall is a little rich. And it would be an absolute heartbreaker to see Michael Parsons go nine and then Dylan Moses 11th. I have them much farther apart as far as being a prospect. Now, Dylan Moses, excellent athlete, explosive, you know, very smooth player laterally, can glide kind of through blocks going downhill. He's a guy that played both sides of the ball in high school, was really just listed as an athlete type of player coming out of high school. He's just a a interesting kind of ball of clay of athleticism, but they put him there in the middle of that defense. It's tough to play linebacker for Nick Saban out there. There's a lot of moving parts. You're the quarterback of that defense. There's a lot of stress on that uh, linebacking core because they like to play the run with even numbers, not get that extra safety down. So he has to shed a lot of blocks for himself in space. He has to make plays essentially from tackle to tackle. It's just a tough role out there. And in the SEC where you get some big offensive alignment up on you, you get a lot of misdirections with, you know, some of these offenses like Ole Miss with a lot of misdirection and eye candy in the backfield. But like we watched that tape yesterday together and, you know, there's, there's a lot of moving parts, but that's what you're getting in the NFL as well. So I'm not sure Dylan Moses in 2020 has quite lived up to the, the draft slot and expectations after his 2018 tape. But at the end of the day, an exciting player and an improvement on the second level of the Eagles defense. Did you have he and Parsons that far apart before the season, or is that based solely off of what you've seen in a couple games here in 2020? I had them apart. I had Michael Parsons as as an elite style of prospect, I think more of a rare fit, and I think I had uh, Dylan Moses as a back end of round one. He has since slid a little bit more to a uh, day two style of player, but I think still a upgrade over what they currently have, which at the end of the day, improve your roster at all costs. 
Well, let's get to our under the hood now here, man. And this is one of my favorite segments that we do every week where, again, we pick one position and we describe three factors or traits that matter most to us when evaluating it. And this week we are going to focus on the three technique defensive tackle. And, you know, let's real quickly, if you could just explain uh, to our listeners, you know, the kind of the layman terms, what is a three technique? What is that? You know, why is that different from uh, a, a different kind of defensive tackle? Yeah, so a lot to kind of dive into here under the hood, but a three technique is a defensive tackle that's aligned to the outside shade of the offensive guard, and it can be to either guard, and that's where the three technique alignment comes from. Each position on the defensive front has a different numerical uh, designation. You line up head up with the center, it's a zero, head up with the guard, it's a two, inside of the guard is a two I, outside of the guard is a three tech can easily Google that and kind of find the whole chart there. Yep. But that's where the term three technique comes from. It's also referred to as an under tackle. And that's really kind of a new phenomenon over the last 20, 25 years to put these players in under fronts where you're putting them that three tech shaded away from the tight end side, away from the strength. That becomes very difficult to double team that player. That allows that three technique to have more of a one-on-one opportunity with the offensive guard. And then when you're on passing downs, you've essentially schemed yourself another defensive end. Why is that? Because you're one-on-one and you're lined up on the outside edge of an offensive lineman. So you have to kind of visualize what I'm saying here. Put your defensive end against the tackle. Now you have your three technique against the guard also out in space aligned to that outside shoulder. This is really kind of a new phenomenon in football. I say new, meaning the last 20, 30 years. The first under tackle was really John Randall. And then it really took off with Tony Dungy, Monty Kiffin, and what they did with Warren Sapp and giving him one-on-one blocks on the backside of runs in the backside of the strength of formations. And it's since taken off. Leroy Glover put up a 17 sack season, Kevin Williams, Tommy Harris. Then it evolved even further by sliding some ends inside the way the giants did for their two Super Bowls with OC Manure and Justin Tuck. Yep. But in today's NFL, Aaron Donald, Geno Atkins, Fletcher Cox, Chris Jones, Grady Jarrett. That's kind of the cream of the crop with the three, uh, the three technique under defensive tackle. So and there are so many of them now that are just not you know obviously they're not all elite but when you talk about like guys that you would say are like good three techniques there are a ton of them in the NFL it seems like every week uh, you're going up against somebody that's like man you, you got to make sure you got to figure out a way to handle this guy uh, up front Let's and really quick the- Fran we'll just put you in spot just give a really quick elevator speech on the play profile difference between what's traditionally the one technique nose tackle versus the three technique defensive tackle because at the end of the day they're all defensive tackles in the umbrella but really quick just kind of what's the difference in the style of player yeah no question so to me I think a lot of people will just paint paint them with a broad brush and say oh well your one technique is a nose tackle that's a guy that's lined up between the center and the guard as a one technique he's got to be he's the run stuffer and the three techniques the pass rusher there is much more gray area, as there often is. There is much more gray area there where you need those guys to share the you know similar traits. And I'm going to get to that uh, when I get through some of this stuff. But I think ultimately, uh, you tip, look at the one technique. You are going to see a little bit more in terms of double teams. You are going up against smaller centers, though, so you can get away with guys uh, that are a little bit smaller. It's not a true zero technique. You know, uh, you know Vince Wilfork, uh, Ted Washington, you know uh, Casey Hampton. You know, I'm going to eat up two gaps and just uh, occupy everything but 
when you look at the difference between a one technique and a three, typically you need that guy as the, at the one technique to be able to handle a little bit more double team or a few more double teams than you would as a three. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. That's fair. All right, so let's get into our trades here, and, and I'll kick things off for us, and we'll go back kind of back and forth. To me, the number one thing that I'm looking for is competitive toughness uh, at the three-tech. And here's the reason why. Number one, as a pass rusher, more sacks than you think happen because of effort and motor and toughness and all that stuff. So you need to be a guy that's going 100 miles an hour. Number two, you are still lined up in the trenches. You still need to be able to handle contact. If you can't play through contact, I, you can't play. If you're going to get moved off your spot consistently, how often have we watched three techniques, Ben, where it's like, oh, yeah, this guy's got a quick first step. But anytime there's a double team on you, forget it. He's going to get put uh, up into the linebacker's lap. You can't have that. You are a, a certifiable weakness for your defense if you have that. So if you cannot hold up, then sorry, like you, you can't play as an every down player. So I'm looking for a starting three technique to have that competitive toughness on the interior. That's to me, the, the number one thing I need from that position. Yeah, I think that's fair. And the whole, you know, philosophical origin of that four, three under defense that Monty Kiffin and still Warren Sapp is because it's so difficult to double team that weak side defensive tackle. And it's tough to do this without a whiteboard, but uh, you know, that's a kind of a deeper conversation, but these, this position particularly Fran, I feel like has a, as wide a profile of the player as any in the NFL. Like you could have a six foot, 275 pound player, like a Aaron Donald or a Mike Daniels or a Grady Jarrett, or you could be like 6'6", 300, you know, like uh, Chris Chris Jones Jones, or DeForest Buckner's of the world. But at the end of the day, what are the two things they all have? Strong hands and a strong base. You have to be able to play with your hands and play with your lower half. And you have to be able to hold up blocks when you need to. You have to be able to hand fight when you need to. You have to be able to get off blocks when you need to. And I feel like trait-wise and play personality and play profile-wise, you have to have a consistently strong base and strong active hands Mm -hmm. because the body types come in all different shapes and sizes at this position. But when you're just breaking down, what do they all have? It's that strong lower half the strong, active, violent hands. So uh, the Eagles just saw Clayus Campbell this week, right, in Baltimore, who's still at his age, just a, a such a disruptive player. And one of the things um, I heard him speak this summer that he said was, I wish I knew when I first came into the league how important my hands were. You know, like I, I feel like he, he had kind of explained that uh, when he first got in, he just thought, hey, look, with my length and with my quick first step, you know, that's going to be enough. With my raw power, that's going to be enough. That's how I'm going to win. But he kind of you know, explained that, look, like you need to be able to win with your hands. And that's, that leads me to my second point is rush skill. And I talk about this with pass rushers all the time. And I think in this uh, arena, that really helps me as well. I mean, remember earlier this year when we did our on the clock and we talked about who the top pass rusher was. And I voted for Jalen Twyman, the kid from Pitt. And the reason why I listed him there was because I felt that he had a really good understanding of how to attack protections from wherever he was lined up. If he was lined up as a, as a four eye, if he was lined up as a two eye, as a three, you could kind of get a sense that he knew how to attack the offensive lineman that was preparing to block him. He was able to read where the slide was coming from and how to attack the slide, that's advanced for a guy that age, right? And you see defensive defensive linemen in the league that show that ability, show that awareness. I need that from a defensive – for a guy that's like – to me, that's one of the things I'm looking for as like, man, like, all right, this is a guy that really, really gets it and has that ability to be an elite player at the position. But on top of that, not just the block recognition, but also 
being able to string together multiple moves, understanding how to set things up, win in multiple ways. That's a, I'm looking for pass rush skill uh, as a, another trait as well from the three technique spot. Yeah, it's fair. Really quick, Fran. Is the three technique position a two gapping position or a single gap position? It is a almost always a one tack, a one tech position. Sorry, a one gap position where you are going to be attacking upfield and flying into the backfield. Uh, that more often than not, that is where that is what you're going to be doing if you're lined up in a gap. That is absolutely true. We want to get upfield, penetrate, and disrupt backfields. So what do we need? We want one step explosive players. And that could come in a variety of kind of packages, that short area burst and that surge, whether it's off the ball, getting out of that track stance and getting across the line of scrimmage with your get off, whether it's that short area burst and surge to get off a block quickly, or whether it's that short area burst and surge to close on a ball carrier. You have to be able to essentially knock running backs off your feet while being face to face with them. And that's being able to sink your hips, generate explosive power from the ground up and you have to do it in a phone booth and that's why we say we want one step explosive and that comes in so many different packages getting off the ball getting off blocks finishing tackles you know surging to the ball carrier and closing that's all short area burst and explosion but you got to do it quick you got to do it in a phone booth and typically you only have time for one step to do it so we want one step explosive players at this three technique position yep hit it on the head for my third one was and that's win quickly and you know with a lot of the things you just said uh one other aspect of that is that snap anticipation are you one of the first guys out of your stance uh you know flying up you know you know into contact or into the backfield uh so you're looking for that first step quickness that ability to win quickly you love seeing that because that's the guys that can be uh you know the the interior disruptors and that's what it's all about right it is disruption uh that if you're not creating production for yourself you're creating production for your teammates if you're able to disrupt run game and pass game um yeah, I, do you have a third i think you have a third one as well right Yeah, just really quickly, you know, we hear about these oily hips with cornerbacks turning and running and receivers sinking their hips, getting in and out of breaks. And, you know, you want to see edge rushers being able to turn the corner and sink their hips with the ankle flexion. We don't talk about hips enough with interior defensive linemen. And I think having really loose kind of athletic lower half for these under tackles is really important for him. Because you have to be able to win on a half man. You have to be able to, to reduce surface area of giving that offensive lineman, you know, literally physical areas the block. You have to get around players in a phone booth. And the only way to do that, besides going straight through 320-pound offensive linemen, is to get around them. And the only way to get around them after being essentially face-to-face in a phone booth is to have very, very loose hips in combination with everything else we talked about, the hands, the base, the explosive steps, all in combination. But if you don't have loose hips, and we talk a lot about explosive players, strong players, he's just a little tight in his hips. And what do we mean by that, Fran? Struggles to turn the corner, struggles to get skinny, struggles to kind of elude blockers on a half man. And that's that's something that can really hold a defensive tackle back if you don't have the ability to have those loose, flexible hips on your lower half. So what is it that separates the elite players, the guys at the top of the food chain? We talked about the Aaron Donalds and the Fletcher Coxes and the Buckners from the good players at this spot, because there is one thing that stands out to me. I'm interested to get that from you. Well, in a very broad sense is I think the elites from the goods of this player at this position are two-way players. 
And those are the ones that aren't liabilities on early down. So many NFL teams want to get that athletic, explosive pass rusher at three technique. If you can't survive on early downs, you're just a situational pass rusher or sub rusher that can really only come in on predictable down and distances. I think the elites in this category are ones that are excellent run defenders as well. The Fletcher Coxes, the Aaron uh, Donalds of the world, you know, DeForest Buckner's of the world, Geno Atkins of the world, Chris Jones, the way he's turned into a dominant run defender. I think those are the ones that have proven to not be liabilities in any situation even though our play profile as a defensive tackle is a, a little undersized, a little bit more fleet of foot, a little more of an explosive uh, kind of an elusive element. But like you were saying before, if you don't have the ability to maybe hold up a double team or survive on early downs against the run, you're going to be a liability for that defensive front. Yeah, no question. And to me, like I, I look at that from the play strength standpoint, and I almost go the opposite way of, uh, you know, that we talk about the difference between strength and power. And I look at the uh, power as the thing that separates Donald Cox, Buckner. Uh, you throw even like, um, you know, Akeem Hicks, right? Uh, Jarrell Casey. You know, those guys, their ability to collapse the pocket from a three tech position. That because you look at Grady Jarrett, you look at uh, and these are all good players, by the way. Obviously, you look at Grady Jarrett, you look at Sheldon Rankins, right? Like those guys, they've got that ability to get on the other side of the line. Quan Short, Sheldon Richardson, Matt Ioannidis, right? Get on the other other side of the line and disrupt with quickness and with technique. If you've got that ability to win with not just with quickness and technique, but also power, it's game over for the guard because most guards in the most guards in the NFL are not going to be able to handle. Uh, a guy that can win in all three ways with technique, uh, quickness, and with power. So when I look at Donald, I look at Cox, I look at Buckner, those guys' ability to move an offensive lineman against his will and collapse the pocket, push him backwards. How many times we watch Fletcher Cox every single week? How many times have we seen him just completely manhandle guards and centers when he's matched up one on one, not just with his quickness, but with his ability to just push them backwards? And to me, the power element is what really kind of separates the great, the elite from the good uh, at that position. Um, last question for you. Who are the players now to taking it back to this draft class that you feel like best kind of represent uh, what we're talking about here at the three tech? Well, I'm going to take this a couple different directions because I think the three tech position has a couple different play profiles in the NFL. Now the true through and through three technique, every down players, why don't you go ahead and hit me with uh, your names for that position? So for me, I went with two guys that I really, uh, really, I'm assuming we are going to agree here. Yeah. So like for me, Jalen Twyman was number one and I talked about him earlier. He was to me like pure three tech, right. Um, You know, with his quickness and his rush skill. Then I look at Levi Onzerike from Washington. And to me, like he's an interesting one because Remember, he was used up and down the line at Washington. He like he lined up everywhere, uh, you know, for that team. And he played, you know, a lot of zero technique. He played some one. He slid out to four eye. But I watched his skill set. I watched his traits. I say, like, man, like this guy, absolutely. While he could he could play one, I definitely could see a guy who could play the three. And then the other guy I would say in there as well is Jay Tufele from USC. Um, you know, I look at Tufele at six three three ten. Uh, this is a guy that absolutely can can disrupt with strength or with power and quickness. This guy's violent. Uh, I I think t- Jay Tufele would be the third name I would throw in there. Well, that's literally one, two, three on my list. And you know, I have Dar- Darius Stills at West Virginia, Mustafa Johnson at Colorado, Laurent Stokes, Oklahoma. I think all the kind of prototypical under tackle three techniques and in an every down sense. But because it's such a passing league and we want to really isolate those big guards, you know, with some more athletic players, 
there's a lot of times we're going to slide in that heavy edge player into three technique and sub packages. So I have a couple guys in that 275 pound range that I think can slide in in some sub packages. And that's like a quitty pay or maybe a boogie basham or even the Deo and Dengbo from Vanderbilt, all guys of really good size and really good play strength. And now what we're seeing even more is the stand-up three technique position. So imagine that defensive tackle, but now we're putting an athletic player there standing up, something the Packers do at Zadarius Smith quite often. And we see this around college football. We see Patrick Jones do it. He did it last week for Pitt, standing up over the guard, sometimes stunting with Rashad Weaver, sometimes just trying to isolate the guard. Joe Tryon at Washington is every bit of 270. He can stand up against those guards. And then you can even go undersized. The way Duke uses Chris Rumpf, who is 225, 230 pounds at that stand-up, mugging the B-gap right over the guard, trying to get a more athletic player there. Greg so, Rousseau. Exactly. And I think it's just really fun to say, who are the through-and-through through every-down players, the traditional? Those are the names. Who are some heavy ends that could slide in? Those are some names for you. Who could stand up there and be productive? There's so many different profiles of this position in the NFL. So there's guys you got to find in college that maybe fit those roles. And it's a really fun position to dive into. No question, man. It's a, it's a really fun position to evaluate. One of my favorites. Really appreciate you uh, highlighting some of the traits we look for. Ben, we'll talk to you next week, man. It's going to be a, a fun weekend of college football. Hope you enjoy it from home. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, joining us this week here on Mr. Relevant on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, Eric McLean, who is a college football analyst for the ACC Network and ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter, just like I do, at Eric McLean. Eric, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, Fran, thanks for having me. Excited to jump in. A little NFL talk, huh? A little different than uh, what I do day to day. But of course, you know, the still the same players that I'm obviously watching in great detail uh, each and every Saturday. No question. And you, I know you put in so much work, so that's why I was excited to get you on the show. And, I, and obviously, you're a Clemson guy, former team captain for the Tigers. And I, I want to kind of get your thoughts on them. Um, you know, and obviously, just a, a remarkable team, so much talent everywhere, both sides of the football, all three levels. I want to start with Travis Etienne, you know, because we know Trevor Lawrence is kind of the engine that makes that team go. But when you look at Travis Etienne, how do you kind of view him entering the NFL? And how do you feel he would be best used to kind of maximize and best leverage his skills moving into the NFL to put him in the best position to succeed moving forward? Yeah, well, I really think that he's going to take the NFL by storm. And it's crazy to think that, right? Just such an extraordinary league, so much talent. But, you know, I really believe that right now, if he would have left a year ago, He'd be dominating right now. His skill set is so unique. There's really only one guy that I can even think of right now who I can compare him to, and that's Alvin Kamara. Mm. I mean, you see the versatility in his game, the way that he can be uh, a great runner, but also a great receiver. I mean, Travis, he's making himself a ton of money right now. Uh, The way that he has improved his receiving ability, being able to line up at a wide receiver, do it out of the backfield. I mean, against Miami, he lined up as the outside wide receiver and ran a nine route. I mean, I've never seen somebody do the different things that he can do as a true running back, you know, not a hybrid guy. I mean, he is a running back that has just added this new element. It's ridiculous. I mean, he, he couldn't catch a cold when he was a freshman and sophomore. Like, literally, he was the worst receiver we had on the team. I mean, we, we avoided even thinking about pitching him the ball because he couldn't catch it. And now he's leading the country in yards after catch. I mean, the development... Uh, it's just fantastic. I think it's truly going to ensure 
the fact that he's the first running back taken. Uh, he literally, I mean, he can do it all, Fran. He can run inside. He can run outside zone concepts. And then he can be your best receiver. So whatever team gets him, man, you're, you're lucky. And, uh, you know, I just hope that they continue to use him the way that Clemson has this year because it's been really special. And he's kind of like one of the mystery men in college football. You don't, you, there's not like a ton of like off the field stories about him. And just this past week on college game day, uh, you kind of got to look inside the, the mindset uh, of this kid and, you know, the kind of what, what he's made of, what the makeup is. And then after seeing that, you're not surprised that he made that decision to go back to Clemson for his senior year and why the accolades aren't that crazy for him. And he's going to end up being all the all time scorer in the history right. of Clemson, which I mean, that's, that's crazy. Uh, but that, that's going to be him when it's all said and done at the end of his career. Yeah. Just again, a guy that has zero issues, no drama. It isn't a guy that needs a ton of attention. He just likes football. He, he loves to play it. And, you know, you're absolutely right. Wanting to come back to further his game. And that's what we've seen. So it's been truly remarkable to watch him grow as a person. And then, like you said, it's kind of that best kept secret. I mean, you, you look at his awards and you look at, uh, you know, his resume outside of what he's done on the field and it's, it's a little underwhelming, right? I mean, you got a guy who is so special, yet he's only a semifinalist. He hasn't even been a finalist for the best running back award in the country. That that has I have whole different issues with that. But uh, <laughs> like I said, he'll figure it out. And, and once some lucky team gets him, it's going to be special on the next level. So obviously, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, they're, they're household names. And every year, it seems like Clemson, they're just ch- always constantly churning out those household guys that go from, oh, who, who is this guy, to all of a sudden, he's a second-round pick in the NFL. <laughs> is there a guy that you know of right now, um, just because of how closely you follow that team and follow that conference, that uh, you, know, you know, look, right now, the people around the country don't know who this guy is, but pretty soon, he is going to be a national name, a household name by the end of the season? Yeah, you know, I might be a little late. This already might have been starting or, or started, but it's true freshman Miles Murphy. I mean, he's a defensive end, six foot five, 275 pounds, was the number one DE coming out of high school, number seven overall. And what has he done? He's just third on the team in tackles, leads the team in tackles for loss, leads the team in sacks, leads the team in fumbles cause. I mean, he is a freak. He, he is the picture-perfect rush defensive end. He can play strong side. He's strong enough to do that. This past weekend against Georgia Tech, I watched him hawk down a running back, hawk down a quarterback, and it's just like guys that big are not supposed to move that fast, and that's just what he does. So he's a guy that I think is getting a lot of attention right now. I expect even more so. I'm talking about just regular team All-American list, not just freshmen by the end of this season. And another guy, you know, if he can kind of get back from injury, is going to be wide receiver Joseph Ngata. You know, had a solid Mm. freshman season a year ago. And he's just that next next up 6'4", 220-pound wide receiver that Clemson has seemingly produced since, you know, Nuke Hopkins. So it's just been year over uh, where, where guys are coming in and, and it's these freaky wide receivers. So he might be the next one in line. Yeah, I mean, you talk about a, a program that could, you know, justifiably move on from losing a guy like T. Higgins and Justin Ross right. and say like, oh, yeah, by the way, here's Joseph Nagata. Uh, you know, here's uh, the, who's the other the other kid, Frank Ladson. Amari Rogers. I mean, you have all these other guys. And it's like, oh, yeah, we'll be all right. We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, all right, let, let's turn this conversation more to the, to the national stage here. You know, we're obviously we're a few weeks into college football. It's crazy to think how far along into the season Flying. we have been. Um, who's caught your eye? Because I know you're doing games every week you're studying film who's a guy that has kind of just kind of caught your eye as you've been studying these teams and said like man like I've got to do more work on this guy there were not enough people are talking about him 
Yeah, I think when you look at a, just a team in whole, it's Virginia Tech. You know, loving what I'm seeing from them. Uh, and then at, at running back for them, Khalil Herbert. I mean, a guy who legitimately I think we can insert into the Heisman conversation right, wow. right now. I mean, he is a guy that has accounted for 30-plus percent of his team's entire offense. I mean, he's averaging 166 yards uh, per game. And that from line of scrimmage, not special teams, that, that's receiving and, and running the ball. That's first in the country, and is just so electric. I mean, he is truly a home run hitter, similar to Travis Etienne. That anytime he touches the rock, I mean, it could be sixty yards later touchdown. So I think it has to do a lot with that offensive line. They're playing outstanding, really, really impressive. What we're seeing from them, but man, he takes this group to a total another level, and has been really impressive to watch. The biggest thing for me, I think, is just showing that more versatility, similar to Travis, where you've got to catch the ball. NFL, it's all about the more you can do. When you talk about those first, second round picks, I mean, you, you know, you can be a fourth, fifth round pick at running back and have a great career and be a great running back. But those elite, special guys, I think Khalil has a chance. We just need to see more of it. Yeah, I know Christian Dyersaw, the tackles guy we've talked about numerous oh, yeah. times here on the show. Uh, Jim Nagy actually spotlighted Khalil Herbert a couple weeks ago uh, on Twitter, kind of singling him out as one of those players that has really played their way up on uh, high up under the board. Uh, you know, for the Senior Bowl, he was really—I mean, he was off the radar. He was not on the Senior Bowl top two hundred and fifty entering the year, but with what he has done, uh, has certainly caught some eyes. So I'm glad that you brought him up. We haven't talked about him too much here on the show. Uh, a similar kind of question, one that I, I love asking our guests every time we bring somebody on here this segment who's a player that you feel like you are higher on than everybody else and you're like what am I missing here uh, <laughs> I'd love to we'll, I, we'll split it up one offense one defense we'll start uh, on the offensive side of the ball yeah I, I think a guy that a lot of people are going to love and it's just it was a little bit overshadowed by scheme in Boston College ran the ball so much so this player you know didn't really shine as, as brightly as he is right now and then the second thing just a lot of other guys in this conference, you think of Brevin Jordan at tight end, Noah Gray at Duke, uh, James Mitchell at Virginia Tech. So a lot of really good tight ends. But one that you know I just wasn't seeing much about was Hunter Long. And, and this guy leads the nation in catches per game, leads the nation in yards for a tight end. I've heard all this stuff about Kyle Pitts. I get it, the touchdowns, mismatch nightmare. Hunter Long can do the exact same thing. And oh, by the way, he's getting targeted 20 times a game. So he does a lot more than just a goal line you know, touchdown threat. So he, he's a guy that I think is going to have a great NFL career, really fit in wherever he goes. Uh, and you've seen the, you know, the long lineage of Boston College offensive linemen. Now I think we're going to see some more and more tight ends from those guys. He's not afraid to put his hand down and, and really go and block. So he, he's going to be a special one that I think is, if he's not already, he should be surging up these boards. You know, I'm thinking combine invite, whatever it takes, because he, he's going to be a special player and he's going to test really well. Defensively, for me, there, there's a lot of choices uh, in the ACC. You know, just so much individual talent, it feels like. But really, a guy I felt like has been kind of disrespected almost is Paris Ford, the safety mm. from Pitt. I mean, he is a guy that is physical, loves contact. I mean, extremely physical. He met Big Cam Harris from Miami, a 225, 230-pound running back in the hole, delivered a strike, and Harris, I mean, was out for the game for – you know, two or three drops. So, and he, Paris is a little guy. He's six foot, maybe 190 pounds, but he plays like a giant. He's an absolute ball hawk. He's tied for number one in the country with three picks right now. And I think that was the biggest concern, if you will, was just the ball skills. He's answered that right away. So look to continue for him. Again, 
similar or opposite of Hunter. I don't know if Paris is going to test well. I don't think he's going to run up, you know, a sub four, four. I don't think he's going to jump out of the gym or, or, you know, bench press a hundred times, but he's just a guy that loves football. He's gritty. He's going to make you a ton of play. So I'm not sure if he'll sneak into that first round, but I definitely think that he should be one of the top safeties taken. Yeah, and it's interesting with him because with that skill set, you wouldn't expect it. But he, he's a former corner. That's how he kind of started right. his career there exactly. and it made the move to safety. I have not studied him yet, but just like from a pure profile standpoint, the way that everybody talks about him, you included, like just like seems like a Bob Sanders type player because he's undersized, but with that physicality, I mean, and the way that he comes down and thumps people. Uh, I can't help but think of like just the way that Bob Sanders played. Um, <laughs> that, that's so. the exact comparison that I think of when I see this guy's Bob Sanders. He, he he is a physical guy, smaller in stature, but again, not afraid to hit anybody. You know, you you think of the mismatch problems that you have, especially in today's NFL game, where you have these freaky tight ends that can run like a deer. So it helps to have that size. But he, he's a guy that plays like he's six five and really has a knack for the ball. Well, Eric, this has been great, man. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll have to have you on again, once again, in the future. Absolutely. I appreciate your time, buddy. Before we continue with this episode, it's really important to me that I talk about voting. Now, depending on where, when you're listening to this episode, we're just two weeks away from Election Day, and the deadline to register to vote has likely passed in your state. Now, last week on the show, I talked about mail-in voting and why it's both perfectly safe and perfectly legal to fill out a mail-in ballot. So this week, I wanted to talk about the importance of voting. There's been a lot of discussion about how important this 2020 election is, and why is that? Not only is it a presidential election, but votes are also going to choose 11 governors. 35 U.S. Senators, 435 members of the U.S. House of Representatives, as well as hundreds of state and local officials. That's just from an individual candidate standpoint. But then you think about what you're voting for. What are the issues that are important to you? And when you're voting on the national level, these are the different things that you're going to make your opinion heard on. You've got issues like national security, global policy, international commerce, taxes, medicine and food safety standards, the Postal Service, all those national issues. Then you get to the state level, and that's where you're voting on issues like public education, auto insurance, highway maintenance, environmental protection on the state land, and and even things like fishing and hunting licenses. Then you get to the local level, and that's where things like school lunches, judges, local police, rec programs, public services, all of those issues. Now, not all of these things that I just listed are going to be important to you, but some of them are, right? So at every level of government, there are things that either impact your day-to-day life, they align with your views on our society as a whole, or they impact the bottom line for you at the end of the year or at the end of the tax season. So remember, 100 million eligible voters did not participate in the general election four years ago. Please, you have to do what you can to help us lower that number. It is all of our civic duty to make sure that all of our voices are heard. Get out and vote on November 3rd. Now it's time for Pick 6. Well, excited to welcome back here for some more Pick 6 action as we continue to uh, uh, take our little gambles every single week. Ross Tucker. Ross, uh, look, it was it was a little bit tight last week, but I ended up picking two picking up two games on you. Uh, I picked Wake Forest. You took Virginia. And then in that Pitt-Miami game, uh, you took Miami as having more TFLs. I took Pitt. Pitt had 15 tackles for loss in the game. Miami had nine, but it just happened to Pitt had 15. But I picked up a couple games on you last week. Pitt had 15 tackles for loss and still <laughs> lost the game. I mean, that's unbelievable. That's hard to do. 
And yeah, I was way off on Virginia Wake Forest. Way off. That was Wake Forest is a lot better than I thought they were. Yeah, I, and they've got another big one uh, here coming up this week against Virginia Tech. It'll be a fun game to watch. Uh, but let's get into some of this uh, this week's action. We've got uh, a big one here in the Big 12 here, Ross, because, uh, you know, with Oklahoma being down, Texas being a little down, Iowa State and Oklahoma State, I feel like they're, they're the lone unbeatens left over on that side in terms of conference play. Iowa State did start off the year uh, with a loss to Louisiana, who is still ranked. Uh, but when you look at Ohio State versus Oklahoma State, huge game, conference uh, on the line here. Who do, you t- who do you take straight up in this matchup? I'm going to Iowa State, and I'm going to Iowa State because I love their head coach, Matt Campbell. I love what he's done with that program. I think Oklahoma State might be a little tempted to be looking ahead a little bit, some of their other matchups, and they're good, but they're not that good. They're not going undefeated. They're not going to the college football playoff. This would be the type of game that Oklahoma State would lose. I think they're going to. So the reason why I'm going to Iowa State, I mean, I, to me, like the Cyclones are just more battle tested, man. I mean, they, they've won three straight games. So is as Oklahoma State, but you look at Brees Hall in this game. Uh, you know, I just don't think the Cowboys have a have the ability to stop a back like him. And I know that defense is playing better, but you know, you look at the teams that uh, Oklahoma State has beaten compared to the teams that Iowa State has beaten. You know, you have Oklahoma and TCU. Uh, Oklahoma State just doesn't have that win. They beat West Virginia. They beat Kansas. They beat Tulsa. Uh, I really like the idea here of the Cyclones coming up with this win. So I'm going to be on the same side of you here on that one. Let's go to the next one here. Now to the ACC, coming back to the East Coast. Florida State coming off a huge win over North Carolina that no one really predicted uh, against Louisville, who has been tight with pretty much everybody, but has lost four straight. Excited to get your thoughts here on this matchup. I'm going Louisville. I'm going Louisville. I think they burned me earlier in the year. I don't care. I was impressed (laughs) with how their defense played against Notre Dame. I watched a lot of that game. Louisville came to play. Their defense played pretty darn well. Meanwhile, Florida State, I think they come back to earth after the North Carolina win. Huge win for them. They needed that. Congrats to Norvell. But you know the way college football is, Fran. After a huge win like that, they tend to take a step back. I know, and that's why it does have me a little bit worried. I am going to go Florida State, man, because here's what – like Louisville, just for whatever reason, I mean, like I said, they've, they've lost four games. They just haven't been able to finish. You know, three straight tight games. Uh, they have a blowout loss in between there against Georgia Tech. I just look at Florida State. I'm like, all right, like maybe this is the spark that kind of gets them going. Obviously, it's a new coaching staff with Mike Norvell. Uh, they had kind of a tumultuous offseason. You know, there's the COVID stuff. There was, uh, you know, social justice things going on there. You know, there's uh, the players versus the coaches. But they seem to have kind of rolled off of that. And now things kind of going in the right direction. I- I'm going to take a stab here and say Florida State uh, comes up with this win. A little bit of a matchup here to watch in this game. Tutu Atwell, one of the most explosive players in all of college football against a ball hawking corner in Asante Samuel Jr. When they run those little intermediate routes with Atwell, uh, you know, on those deep over routes, watch out for Samuel jumping those routes. That'll be something uh, certainly to watch in this game. Uh, so I will take Florida State. So we'll go different uh, there on that one. Let's go to the next one here. An over-under. 0.5 sacks. So will Jason Owe from Penn State get a sack against Indiana? Big Ten debuting this week. I know you're excited about that uh, to see the conference uh, kick off their action this week. Uh, I guess, number one, real quick, before we get into your pick here for this one, I'd like to get a scouting report from you uh, on Jason Owe, who is just a freak of nature from everything that you see and everything I've seen on film and all the, everything you've read. I mean, Jason Owe, just a freak. Yeah, I mean, listen, Penn State's got some really gifted guys. Micah Parsons opted out. He's going to the NFL. Uh, Journey Brown, 
The running back uh, apparently has a medical yeah. condition, but he won the state of Pennsylvania in the 100. He beat Loy Leroy Burrell's record in the 100 meters. But they'll even tell you, all of them, Micah Parsons, Journey Brown, that Oway is the freak of all freaks running in the four threes at over 250 pounds. And it's his turn now. It's his time. I think he'll get a sack. Wouldn't be surprised if he has more than that. I still remember talking with James Franklin when he was here in Harrisburg to see Micah Parsons. He had to leave at halftime to go to Mercersburg to see Mercersburg play Blair Academy where Jason Oway was. That was a good recruiting day for James Franklin. You got <laughs> Micah Parsons and Jason Oway, probably two guys that are both top 20 picks in the NFL draft. Dude, Oway, like you watch, I watched him last year on film and he was a backup player, uh, you know, obviously behind Shaka Tony. Um, you know, and I think when you look at what he can, I mean, his traits are so impressive. And he had some flashes last year as a backup. I cannot wait to see him as a starter. Uh, I think you and I are both on the same side of this. You're going over under a one and a, or 0.5 sacks for Oway this week against Indiana. Yeah, going over. I think he gets a sack, maybe two, because I still think Shaka Tony's going to get some of the attention from the offensive line they better they better watch out for Owe. yeah no question I, I will take the over on this one real quick uh you mentioned that news from journey brown we talked about it a little bit earlier in the show but just uh your thoughts uh, on the news obviously unfortunate because the guy's one of the most talented backs in college football well they had a three-back rotation so and they have a freshman they really like named Kaziah Holmes so yep. keep your eyes this year Fran on a guy named Devin Ford he had a couple big plays last year as a true freshman. His high school video was ridiculous. He's electric. I think he's going to have a big year. They got Noah Kane and Devin Ford will be able to carry the load, even though they're losing a guy that Dane Brugler, our mutual friend, had as the number one ranked running back in college football. Yeah, no, it's a it's a big loss, and just not not just for Penn State, but for the country, just because of how electric that guy is as a playmaker. Let's get to the next one here. Staying in the Big Ten, we're going to go to this Purdue Iowa matchup, and uh, the most electric player in the conference, uh, especially with Journey Brown not playing, is going to be Rondell Moore. He he opted out, opted back in, was allowed to get back on the campus. He's back with the team. Uh, this guy, you know, missed for a, a large chunk of last year but was one of the most dynamic playmakers in all of college football the year before, 2018, as a true freshman. My over-under for you here is this. Three and a half catches of at least 14 yards in this game for Rondell Moore versus Kirk Ferentz's Iowa secondary. Going under. Mm. Um, I'm going under because who knows what the deal is with Brom and COVID and, and the game planning for this. Plus, I do have a lot of faith in Iowa and their coaching staff, they know that Rondell Moore is the guy. Although David Bell on the other David side Bell, is pretty yeah. good too. No question. Yeah, they got a couple of them. I don't think they're going to let Rondell Moore run all over the place and beat him. I think they'll make some of the other guys beat him. So when these two when these two teams faced off in 2018, the year that Rondell Moore went off, it was I think he had like three catches for 30 yards. They really kept him in check. That, but as you mentioned, no David Bell that year. Uh, I'm actually going to go the over here because I, I'm looking at the numbers. He had. 29 receptions last year, all right? Nine of those catches, so one of every three, went for over 14 yards. In 2018, he had 104 catches as a true freshman. 25 of those catches went for 14-plus. That was about one out of four. 
So I'm going to say, look, let's, let's have him go off here. It's, gonna, it's his first game back. He's fully healthy. He's back in the, in the mold there. I'll take the over, and I'll go uh, opposite of you here for Rondell Moore uh, with his catches against Iowa. Let's go here. Another one. Bigger number. We're going to stay in the Big Ten. Michigan defensive end, Quiddy Pay. The amount of sacks he has in this game against Minnesota or the amount of touchdown catches that Minnesota wide receiver Rashad Bateman has in this game. What is the higher number? Quiddy Pay sacks? or Rashad Bateman touchdown catches? Yeah, you're good at these. Uh, these are hard uh, for me. I'm going to go Bateman, though. Just the way college football has been so far, all of these high-scoring, crazy-scoring mm-hmm. games, I'm going to bet that Bateman has one or two touchdown catches. I'm not sure Pay does that. I think P.J. Fleck will do a pretty good job of finding where Pay is, making sure that they give help to that guy. So I'll go Bateman. Yeah, Michigan has lost some guys in the secondary. Uh, and even just going back to last year, like if I'm just going to like play odds, all right, uh, I think it was like seven or eight games Bateman scored a touchdown, and it was, uh, I think, five games where Pay had sacks. So just uh, I'll just play off the numbers. I'm going to go Bateman uh, touchdowns here. Excited to get your pick here. I actually didn't even look at this because you did send me your picks. Who is your upset special here this week? Oh, this one was easy for me. I mean, I thought about oh, mine Pitt. was easy too. All right, let's go. Yeah, I thought I thought about Pitt over Notre Dame. Yep. But I'm I'm gonna go Ole Miss. Ah, yep. Uh, Auburn is not good. Patrick Nix is not playing with Bo Nix. Patrick Nix's son is not playing well. I'm going Ole Miss. I think they win the game. I think Auburn is a fraud. Dude, why, why do people think that Auburn is is gonna win this game as uh, you know as handily as they do? I don't no it. idea, but I'm all over Ole Miss. That that you know, usually it's tough for me to pick an upset. That was easy. Yeah, I, I, dude, I'll tell you what. So they've got two guys, Ole Miss, on that offense. So you really, you really. I mean, they're they're making plays all over the place. They're scoring points in bunches, and that's why I, I like Ole Miss in this game. Two guys, number one, Elijah Moore. Number eight is the slot receiver, and they move him all over the place. He's a junior. He caught my eye as a true freshman. He was playing in the same receiving core as AJ Brown and DK Metcalf, and that's how. I mean, he was flashing with those guys still on the field. He's dynamic. He's got some juice to him, but he'll also. I mean, he's a, a great punt returner, great kick returner. He shows some great flashes. He's just not as consistent as I would like him to be uh so keep an eye out for elijah moore in this game and then the temple transfer he, he keeps making plays ross kenny yaboa uh every day every game he's catching pop passes over the middle they're getting him down the seam they're getting him running wheel routes underneath routes uh we're catching run i mean he's uh one of the more productive tight ends in all of college football so far this season so uh two guys certainly to keep an eye on in that one elijah moore and kenny yaboa uh both of us i think that's the second straight week we're on the same page uh with our upset we both picked boston college last week that one did not come to fruition. We'll see if uh, Ole Miss can topple Auburn. Uh, this was, this has been fun, though, Ross. I really, really appreciate you jumping on once again with us here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, let's go Louisville. Don't miss your chance to be in the stands at Lincoln Financial Field this season with an Eagles fan cutout. Put on your game day best and upload a photo of yourself so that you can still join us on game days. Fan cutouts printed by Rico are only $100 with net proceeds benefiting Eagles Autism Foundation. Your purchase will also waive the registration fee for the 2021 Eagles Autism Challenge event. Order yours at PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash cutouts.
Well, great stuff this week from Ross Tucker, from Eric McLean, of course, from Ben Fennell. Really appreciate everybody that has continued to join this podcast on a weekly basis. We're coming at you twice a week. Hope you guys have enjoyed all the content. Again, best way to throw us your support. Thank us for this, these pieces of content every single week. Just go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating. If you leave us a comment, if you leave us a question, we'll answer it here on the show. We'll be back early next week with Dane Brugler and Ben Fennell breaking it all down, what we've got from the first week of Big Ten. Hope you guys enjoyed this week of college football. We'll see you next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA.